Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data, with another Wednesday Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. As we start today's show, the Silver King is dealing with a number of, let's call them, annoyances. As we tape all of these episodes from home, especially now in the middle of this pandemic, literally on one side of my house, I have someone cutting the lawn. On the other side of the house, I have someone repairing a metal patio. And no matter what I do, I would not be able to tape this show in any type of complete silence over the rest of the day. So I just figured, hey, why not? Let's just roll with it right now. So as we get into today's show, you know what we're all about here. We're going to cover everything that happened Wednesday night on NXT and AEW Dynamite for NXT. It was the show after NXT TakeOver 31, the fallout from their latest pay-per-view, whereas over with AEW for Dynamite, it was the 30th anniversary of Chris Jericho's professional wrestling career. So these shows were loaded. There was a lot on both of them. Certainly Dynamite gave us a number of title matches and a big draw for people to watch that specific show. Whereas with NXT, it was kind of just, hey, come see some of the fallout from the pay-per-view that we had, TakeOver 31. And really, next week, it's going to be very much the same thing. AEW is going to be celebrating one year on TNT, one year of Dynamite's existence, whereas NXT will be giving you a regular show with NXT's special show being saved for the end of the month, Halloween Havoc, which we're definitely looking forward to. So we're going to get into it today. We've got a lot to talk about, no time to waste. Before we do, a reminder, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter. You can do that by following at Getting Overcast. Of course, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love our shows. We always appreciate it. Every time you leave a five-star rating and or review, it bumps us up in Apple's podcast categories, gets more people listening, and eventually, hopefully, that leads to great things for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So as I said, you're hearing the lawnmower right now. They're getting a little close. It doesn't matter. We are getting into the show and we're gonna start with NXT. There was something weird that happened throughout the entire NXT show on Wednesday night. And it was that the fact that about half of the entrances were either already in progress by the time WWE got to them or they were skipped entirely with people already in the ring. So I'm not sure if that was a timing issue where they had to shorten some things up or it's something new that they're trying considering the Capitol Wrestling Center. But I personally, as a wrestling fan, like good entrances, especially for talent that have good entrances. So I don't know why you would cut someone off. Rhea Ripley is a great example. They basically show just the second half of her entrance as she made her way to the ring. So if you have an entrance like that, I don't necessarily know why you're hiding it, why you're couching it. But It was a little bit of an oddball NXT show, so it would potentially explain, hey, maybe some things were haywire and they just decided to reduce some of the entrances. We'll see next week if this is a trend that continues, but as a longtime wrestling fan who likes to see the entire production, you know, before a match, with the exception of either people who are jobbers or low carters who are already starting in the ring to get someone else over, if you're having a regular match with two people of name value, then show both of their entrances. That's where I stand on the entire thing. Uh, So a couple big topics came out of NXT. And one of them has to do with Undisputed Era and a lot of fallout from that. The other with Ember Moon making her official return to NXT after showing up at NXT TakeOver 
31. So we'll touch on those first, and then we will get to the rest of the show, basically in order. Starting with Undisputed Era. So Adam Cole, uh, pretty early in the show, cut a good promo on Ridge Holland after the attack at TakeOver, and it was obvious that Bobby Fish was kind of just nodding along as Cole was speaking and didn't really seem to care too much that he was hurt or too much about what he was saying. Kyle O'Reilly then chimed in that he felt bad for losing his match against Finn Balor, and that is when Fish and Roderick Strong finally spoke up in support of him. So those are really nice touches that they were there to support O'Reilly, but not so much Cole, despite what happened to Cole actually being worse given the context of the situation during TakeOver 31. This was short and sweet, but it was a good segment to continue that storyline. So then we got a little bit later in the show an epilogue to the Finn Balor-Kyle O'Reilly match. This was great. It was a tremendous use of highlights and interviews to tell a story of a match that maybe some TV, TV viewers had not seen yet. Maybe they don't have WWE Network. And if you, for some reason, after listening to our instant analysis, are listening to this and you still have not seen this match, or if you're an AEW fan who just listens to the show to kind of catch up on what's going on in NXT, you need to watch this match. One of the matches of the year, absolutely incredible stuff. These guys really beat the shit out of each other. It's crazy that they both legitimately suffered facial injuries coming out of this. Balor fractured his jaw in two places. A surgeon friend of mine tells me it's probably about two months of no action, which puts him on track for December. And I believe there's going to be a takeover in December. So that actually ends up working out, you know, somewhat. It's crazy, though, when you really sit back and think about it, how often NXT champions get injured. I mean, you go back to Drew McIntyre, Aleister Black, obviously Karrion Cross just recently, and now Finn Balor, and there's others as well. But it is just crazy how often injuries impact this. And when you consider Finn Balor and the fact that he won the Universal Championship and that night that he won it, seriously injured his shoulder and was out, I think, nine months as the first ever Universal Champion. And now he wins the NXT title because it was vacant because Karrion Cross got injured. And then in his first title defense, gets injured. It's just crazy coincidences and... Man, 2020 has been a mess, and I was really concerned that Finn Balor would have to vacate this title. So knock on wood, I guess, that it's quote-unquote only a fractured jaw, which no one in the world would ever want, but it does seem like he will be able to come back in six weeks, eight weeks, and wrestle again. So hopefully they can figure out a pretty good storyline to do while the title is not able to be defended. Later in the show, we did get Ridge Holland defeating Danny Burch in a one-on-one match, Holland pulled up to the uh, Capitol Wrestling Center, it's going to take a while for me getting used to saying that, in a Mercedes-Benz that he basically indicated he received for beating up Adam Cole, which is certainly interesting from a storyline perspective. Holland got a quick win over Birch with a brainbuster power slam. I don't know what that move is called. It looked decent though, but he probably needs a better finisher, all things considered. He kicked Birch in the head after the match and brawled with then him and Oni Lorcan who came in for the save. And this is kind of where everything fell apart. The brawl was actually better than the match. Holland no-sold the first tope from Oni Lorcan, but then disaster totally struck. Lorcan jumped over the ropes a second time. Holland caught him, and his left ankle completely buckled. It turned backwards, literally 180 degrees backwards, and he screamed bloody murder. It was gruesome on replay. I saw some screenshots afterward. It was really bad. It reminded me, for those of you who are sports fans, of Gordon Hayward, NBA player. He's on the Celtics. 
uh, the injury that he suffered. When they came back a few segments later, they showed actually Holland getting stretchered out with his entire left leg stabilized. And I thought it was pretty good of them of doing that rather than just kind of hiding it and pushing it off screen and then saying the next week that he's injured. This happened live. NXT is live now. It's not taped anymore. So they kind of needed to go back and say this thing, this guy who was screaming in pain on TV. Yeah, that was a real injury. And we're going to now put it as part of our story. I would be absolutely shocked if Holland did not require massive surgery that keeps him out of action for a long time. I mentioned Hayward earlier. He had two surgeries and he was not able to play for a calendar year. Now that's an NBA player, a lot of running. This is a little bit different with wrestling, but that was a calendar year again and two surgeries. And what ended up happening to Gordon Hayward is he dislocated his ankle and he fractured his tibia, which is kind of part of the connection there. So that's most likely what happened here. I believe when you dislocate your ankle, and I am not a doctor, but I believe when you dislocate your ankle like that, the way it gets dislocated is by fracturing your tibia. It basically allows the ankle to be dislocated. So this is horrendous. I mean, anyone who saw it knows. Terrible timing for a young wrestler who is right in the midst of his first major push on WWE TV, on NXT. You guys know how positive I've been about Ridge Holland through like four or five appearances to this point. And this is just such a massive shame that it's actually tough to stomach for a guy like that, not just seeing it happen, but a guy like him who I was really high on and I thought he had a huge amount of potential. The fact that they were giving him a push like this and then for this to happen and just derail the entire thing really sucks. It also kind of puts another dent in a potential Undisputed Era split-up angle. Though at least we got the Mercedes moment earlier in the show and they are gonna be able to pay that off. So there's a couple things that NXT can do here. One, they can kind of just write Ridge Holland out of the story focus on the Mercedes part of it and use that going forward in whatever else they're going to have happen to Adam Cole in Undisputed Era. The other thing they can do is they can have Undisputed Era basically go with a next man up type of scenario. One guy's down, they hire another hitman. You know, I don't know who that would be because Ridge Holland really played that perfectly, but I'm sure there's someone else on their roster or in the performance center that they could kind of, that could be the next person to attack Adam Cole and you know, that person gets a Mercedes as well. And then you just can keep, pick up and keep on with the storyline. So there are ways to save this, but I mean, there's no way to really save Ridge Holland right now, unfortunately. Hope he gets healthy and back soon. And I do hope they kind of tell us what ended up happening with him because that was a very public and very gruesome injury. And I wish him the best and a speedy recovery. Uh, in the main event of the show, we ended up having Rhea Ripley and Ember Moon defeat Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. And again, this is a storyline that played out throughout the entire show. It started, of course, with Ember Moon being revealed as the person, the woman in the Call of Duty-like um, video game vignettes that they were doing leading into TakeOver 31. Ember Moon opened the show and she basically came out, she wants some gold. So they come back from the first commercial break and Moon is in the ring with some cool graphics on the mat. It all looks pretty cool. But this whole thing was a mess, man. They piped in a lot of noise behind her. It sounded weird. It was almost tough to hear her because she is not an exceptionally strong promo. But she tries to cut a serious promo while basically laughing and giggling the entire time. She was repeating herself and talking about being corny. It just did not work for me whatsoever. I can't, can't take her seriously. 
And yeah, the promo game continues to hold Ember Moon back. You saw it again right here. Io Shirai shows up to confront Moon, but she never gets to speak. So then Rhea Ripley's music hits. And as she's about to speak, she gets attacked by Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. William Regal comes out very much in a Teddy Long general manager of SmackDown way and sets a tag team match for the main event. But I could have sworn, and I definitely could be wrong. I didn't go back and look. But I could have sworn this match was already supposed to happen with Shotzi Blackheart in Ember Moon's place. Maybe I'm wrong. But it just kind of felt like it was a match that was already booked that they used the storyline to change for some reason. Backstage, you go back and Io Shirai, the champion, cut a good promo about women's division infighting not being her problem because her only problem is the NXT Women's Championship. That was really strong stuff from Io Shirai. Uh, then you had Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. They cut a promo. I, that, and that was pretty solid as well. I could see all three of those women, by the way, on the main roster Friday and Monday. Like, just bring them up. I know Io's the champion, so they're not going to do that. She could easily be a champion on the main roster, definitely a main event caliber woman. Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez would make an incredible tag team on the main roster, and they would certainly make a great Shawn Michaels Diesel, which is kind of what they have been doing with them, for Dakota Kai to get a main title run on the main roster. So I don't necessarily know what's happening with the women's division. We'll talk about it. It's insane. But maybe they're going to take these NXT women's, sorry, the uh, WWE Women's Tag Team Championships And since they are multi-brand, maybe they will bring them into NXT. You have a number of women's tag teams now that would work if you gave that that title a one or two month or even three month run in NXT. I think that is maybe the best place for it right now because the main roster has a lot of women but doesn't have a lot of tag teams. It it just, if if I was booking, if I was Triple H or Paul Levesque, same person, I guess, uh, but in this circumstance, Paul Levesque, I would go to Vince and Bruce, and I would say, I would like the women's tag team championships for 60 days, you know, or maybe even a little bit longer. That That's what I think could happen. And by the way, if they did have Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez, for example, take them off Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, that puts them way over. And it really gives Raquel Gonzalez a push because she would beat a main roster woman potentially in Nia Jax, who is built up to be strong, despite obviously not having an exceptional level of success. So the match, uh, Ember Moon's new entrance was good. Obviously, we all loved her old one, but with the updated gimmick and with WWE getting rid of all their old themes, it made sense in this circumstance. This was a better replacement by far than most. So far, the two best replacement themes are Ember Moon and Aleister Black. They fit their characters. You can tell effort was put put into them. And the worst by far to this point, of course, is Keith Lee, which is just like music from a catalog somewhere with his old entrance, uh, with his old intro to the music. Just not good stuff. There was great action in this match between all four women. Moon stood up well, despite being in a match with two larger women in Rhea Ripley and Raquel Gonzalez. She had a good, albeit sloppy a little bit, pop-up powerbomb on Dakota Kai. Ripley and Gonzalez took each other out. And then Moon, she got right back to it, hit a fantastic eclipse on Kai for the win. This was a Really nice return match back for Moon. And it was smart to feature her in the main event on her first return to NXT. The women's division, as I said, in NXT, it's just insane. These four women, all the others that are available right now, it's by far the greatest women's division in wrestling. And it's for a single brand. And it is just overloaded almost with talent. So, you know, I didn't think this was a exceptionally strong show from a match perspective, but 
from a main event perspective, they probably did what they needed to do, featuring Rhea Ripley and Ember Moon in the final match in the final few minutes of the show. All right, let's move on for the rest of NXT. The opener was hot. Tommaso Ciampa beating Kushida basically by disqualification. This is the type of match that NXT should hold to open its show every week. They've been going with a lot of women's matches, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the you could feel the momentum open the show when you have Ciampa and Kushida, fan favorites, people that the Smarks like, right? Like if you're a fan and you're an AEW and NXT fan like me, you watch both and you're kind of flipping back and forth. Do I want to see Brian Cage and Will Hobbs? Yes, I do. That's a Hoss fight. We'll talk about that when we get to AEW later. But in the same token, I really want to see Tommaso Ciampa and Kushida fight for the first time in NXT. I probably, if I was flipping, which I don't, I DVR one and then watch the other. But if I was flipping, I probably would have stayed for Ciampa and Kushida. So that was a really good decision. It was, though, while an entertaining match, one that had me missing Mauro Ronaldo and Nigel McGuinness. NXT is noticeably different without them on the call. And this match in particular really showcased that to me. It was, I want Mauro going crazy and really selling the MMA counters and submission attempts by Kushida. We just didn't necessarily get that. Nigel McGuinness as well, just exceptionally good on the microphone. This is not to say anything negative about Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett. They are a very good replacement team. But Mauro Ronaldo and Nigel McGuinness were the best commentary duo that NXT has ever had. And it is some weeks, some matches, difficult to not have them on the call because you just know it could be enhanced that much more. Anyway, the match is really good. Straight wrestling. Kushida seems totally rejuvenated but I absolutely hated the finish. Not only that it ended in disqualification with Velveteen Dream attacking when that rivalry was already set at a takeover, but the fact that it was a disqualification finish unnecessarily. They could have figured out a way for Champa to beat Kushida with Dream as a distraction, as opposed to him just literally jumping in the ring, hitting Champa when he meant to hit Kushida, and that going to the finish. Why the hell would you continue this feud? It got Kushida over. It gave you a reason to keep Dream off TV a little bit. This is very WWE main roster, continuing a feud for no reason when it does not need to be continued. Maybe there will be a payoff that will shut me up. And if it does, you guys know I always admit when I'm wrong. This to me just did not work. And it was a big failure from a storytelling perspective, not just having the DQ, but having Dream come back. Next, we had a tag team match, Drake Maverick and Killian Dane defeating Everrise. I had a feeling, and you guys know I've said this, that the Maverick-Dane team was going to be fun, and I was definitely right about that. This whole thing was good. The reluctancy, the entrance music, Dane getting pissed about the cheap shot, and then taking Maverick and powerbombing him into one of the Everrise guys for the pin. The gimmick where he then keeps knocking Maverick out after their confrontations in the ring. This time, though, he kind of felt a little bit bad and carried him off, so they're telling the story of this odd couple team maybe gelling together a little bit. It's giving Killian Dane a personality and it's good comedy, all things considered. So this is working. And guess what? What else did I say previously? The tag team division in NXT sucks. They basically have no one. So now they're building a tag team, Drake Maverick and Killian Dane, two guys that really didn't have anything else to do. This is a big win. We got a vignette from Tony Storm. She's talking about a change of scenery being necessary for her life and her career. This was a really good way to explain her decision to move to the United States. It was short, sweet, and solid. Definitely raised my interest level because it seems like we're getting 
a change in attitude and maybe a tweak in gimmick as well. Although she didn't look that different when she did appear at NXT TakeOver 31. Either way, thumbs up for this, really solid. We also got a taped segment, a couple taped segments with the Garganos uh, walking their dog and finding a television. The fact that they flashed on screen before this about Johnny Gargano having fought in 20 of 31 takeovers is actually insane when you really think about it. He's been in two thirds of all takeovers that have happened. That, that's just absolutely crazy, man. Uh, but this segment was fun again, especially with Gargano crapping on Indy Hartwell when he first heard her name, only to completely change his tune when he learned that the 65-inch TV was from her. Then later, he gets the TV working and Hartwell included like a USB on video or a video on a USB, uh, pointing out how often she saved Lorray in the Women's Battle Royal. Both of them suddenly started growing fond of her. It makes me think we might see a tag team out of them. And I also wonder whether this was part of the plan for Tegan Knox before she got hurt or what, how exactly things have changed now that they've had to go in a different direction. But what surprised me here is that they were building a storyline for Candice LeRae because I was actually thinking that Gargano and Candice would be headed to Raw or SmackDown in the draft over the next few days. They have a gimmick right now that would totally work on the main roster. I think they'd be great as a mixed tag team who occasionally had matches like that, but really were there to support each other for the goals of, you know, Gargano trying for a mid-card title and Candice trying for a women's title, except on one of the main rosters. They've already had those opportunities now in NXT and they both failed. So why are you going to go back to that well anytime soon? I don't think you can. And if you're not going to, then what else are you going to do with them? So maybe I'm wrong, but I just really, after TakeOver, I thought these two were getting called up, especially now that things are in Orlando and you're kind of around NXT and there's not a lot of travel and Gargano and Candice, or at least Gargano, didn't really seem to ever be exceptionally interested in going to Raw or SmackDown. This is a little bit of a unique scenario here that I think might have worked really well. And actually, Sean McDermott at I'm Bored Brother, one of our longtime listeners, he sent this to me in a DM as well, basically saying, hey, I thought Gargano and LeRae were going to get called up. And now that this has happened, I'm not so sure that that's what's in the plans. Next up, we got Austin Theory in basically a double segment. First, he had a match against Leon Ruff. This was a good quick match. Theory to get some momentum back after a couple pretty big losses. Ruff just got signed to NXT officially, so congrats to him coming in from Evolve. You probably saw him, I think, do a couple squash matches on Raw at the very beginning of the pandemic as well. He flashed here, so, you know, I think long-term there might be something. He is, though, diminutive in, in stature, so he actually kind of reminds me a bit of Leo Rush, but Leo certainly is a total another level from basically anyone from an athleticism standpoint. So, you know, I don't know what Leon Rush will be like long-term, but I am kind of interested to see if NXT ends up developing him into anything, maybe for the cruiserweight division specifically. But Austin 3-1, he hit the ATL finisher. It's a good finisher, by the way. It's like a fireman's carry cutter. It combines almost the RKO and the F5 together. Very cool. Uh, Theory's promo also afterward had good energy, and it was classic heel shtick to talk shit and then immediately get called out on it and suffer the consequences. You had Dexter Loomis answer Theory's challenge. The one thing I'm noticing is that as much as I like Dexter Loomis's gimmick, his character, and his entrance, the entire package really works for me, but his matches are aggressively slow and boring. That's going to be a problem long term, and I'm not really sure how they fix it. When he picks it up in the match, especially for the finish, it's fine. 
but otherwise it's too slow and methodical for too long to really keep me interested. It, I go for my phone during Dexter Loomis matches. I make sure I don't didn't get any new texts. I see what if any of you maybe are on Twitter have responded to me or are, are chatting about the shows. I just find that happening every time I watch his matches. But ultimately, when you get to the finish and when you get to the character work of Dexter Loomis, all of that is positive. He won via knockout and then Cameron Grimes basically comes out of nowhere with the cave-in to continue their feud, cut a good promo backstage. Good stuff there. So I do think we're going to get Dexter Loomis and Cameron Grimes in a match, obviously. My guess is that's going to come at Halloween Havoc. Would make sense for Loomis to have a match there. Cameron Grimes would be a good opponent. Next up, we had Damian Priest backstage celebrating. I love how strong Priest has come off since winning the North American Championship. There's just so much poise and confidence in his words and mannerisms now. Total swag. You guys know I've said it before. The guy oozes machismo. I feel like he is a completed character now. And I hope he gets a nice long reign with the North American Championship and then goes into the NXT main event scene a little bit down the line, maybe early 2021. He would be someone who 100% is a believable main eventer and someone who could definitely challenge a heel for the title. Maybe if Karrion Cross wins the title back, Damian Priest could be his first challenger. To me, that would make a lot of sense. We got another vignette for Thatch's Thatch Can. And while this gimmick really doesn't do much for me, I like when characters have ongoing storylines outside of the ring that keep them on TV between appearances in the ring. So stuff like this, the Gargano stuff, all of this works really well. And then last, we got Shotzi Blackheart defeating Xia Li in a singles match. Blackheart's entrance with the CWC set, that was really cool. She's going to be hosting Halloween Havoc, so it makes sense, especially over the next few weeks, to continue featuring her. She won with a flying senton here. I like this story they're telling, by the way, with Xia Li having doubts about her ability. And we finally got to see Boa with a storyline, handing her a letter. He's had matches before, but he's never really had something in NXT to sink his teeth into, and he has been there for a while. Um, He's one of their few, I think maybe the only remaining male Chinese superstar, so that's certainly a market WWE is interested in grabbing a little bit. But more importantly than that, he has a good look. He's pretty decent in the ring from what I can remember. And Xia Li is also someone who's kind of been floundering without much to do. So the idea of them getting together and doing something, I think makes a lot of sense. Maybe it can be where he's like a mastermind and she's an assassin. I don't know, but I'm interested to see what happens now with both of them. You know, Bo, I don't really have feelings for one way or the other, but Xia Li, I really like. I think she's a great character worker and she's pretty good in the ring. So I'm just interested to see what they may do with both of them. So that is wrapping up NXT. As I said, a little bit of an uneven show, some good, some bad. We're gonna basically be saying the same thing about AEW. They tried really hard for Dynamite, some good, some not so good, and we'll break that down now. But, you know, NXT, um, one thumb up, I, I will say. A very solid show, nothing wrong with it, but definitely some room for improvement. So let's move over to AEW, where really the main topic was the 30 years of Chris Jericho. But despite that taking up a vast majority of the show, the thing that I found most notable on Wednesday night was the dog collar match between Brody Lee uh, and Cody, Brody Lee defending the title against Cody. So that's what we're going to start talking about as our main segment, and then we will work into the rest of the show. The introduction to this match was solid because it really set the tone well for what we were about to see. The idea of bringing Greg the Hammer Valentine in was smart. 
because obviously he was in what basically the most notable dog collar match of all time against Roddy Piper. So if he's willing to be there, then he should definitely be there. But he sat in the crowd by himself, obviously for precautionary reasons, that was good. Um, but basically he had no reaction the entire time. He just like at the end clapped a little bit. So I kind of wish they had used him a little bit better, but it was still cool that he was there. Uh, Cody's entrances, I swear, Cody's entrance gets more ridiculous with more pyro and, and more over-the-top theatrics by the week. We also get three minutes into the match and Cody already has a crimson mask. No surprise necessarily, but I kind of roll my eyes at it to this point because it's not even like it takes continuous wear and tear for it to happen. It's just like Cody's in a match. It's a little bit brutal. Maybe there's a stipulation. He's bleeding every single time. So there's a lot of, I have a lot to say about this match and a lot of it is going to be critical and seeing early commentary online, I think people are going to agree with me largely, which is surprising because sometimes when I criticize AEW, I'm accused of being a hater or whatever the case, when I'm just honest at what I see on television. The first half of this match was quite boring, but strangely, it picked up massively. The problem is it picked up massively right as they went to commercial break. Cody pulled Brody Lee down off the ring apron by pulling the dog collar, uh, by pulling the chain and hit him with an awesome cutter to the outside. So he hits that and I'm like, oh my God, this match is about to get going. They go to commercial break. So it's picture in picture. And then during the commercial break, Cody hits Brody Lee with a package pile driver through a table. So the biggest moment of the match happened during a commercial break. I don't know if it was a timing issue. Maybe they went to commercial break at the wrong time or the show was going long and they had to go to commercial there. So maybe I'll give them a little bit of a break there. But if it was on purpose as a way to tell people to stay tuned during commercial break, that's a very stupid decision. So now we come back. Brody Lee is now busted open also. He hit a dragging boss man slam. That was a nice spot. Lee then throws a chair at Arn Anderson, basically for no reason. And then Arn Anderson gets involved and gets to hit Alex Reynolds with a spine buster. I feel like every fourth or fifth Cody match, Arn is hitting a spine buster on somebody. I still don't know, by the way, what Arn Anderson does from a coaching perspective, but whatever. Uh, Cody hits a crossroads on Brody Lee for a one count, and the in-ring action picks up from there as Cody hits the final cut, wraps a chain around Brody Lee's head, and then hits the crossroads, which didn't totally look like a crossroads, for the win. This finish was somehow anticlimactic, and even the crowd seemed surprised at the decision for Cody to retake the title. So my opinions of this match are mixed. On one hand, it made sense from a storytelling perspective for Cody to ultimately win the title back in this type of match. And in terms of the match itself, it did have its moments that were totally entertaining. So it was not a bad match by any means, but it also was not a great match. So on the other hand, they did not explain one iota why Cody got his ass completely handed to him in the first meeting, nor why they jumped immediately into this match, this stipulation type of match, and why, by the way, Brody Lee was the one basically making the challenge for this stipulation. I criticized that last week. I thought there might be some storytelling early this week to kind of get us to that point, but they basically didn't do that. So you have Cody going from getting his ass kicked in their first meeting to jumping immediately into a stipulation match, a dog collar match, and regaining the title here. What I would have much preferred, and what I think fans would have much preferred, was to see Cody fight Brody Lee again in a regular match and fight him tough this time. 
still not win, but really take him all the way to the limit. But Brody retains because he maybe still has something a little bit up on Cody. And then you go into this for the third meeting, a dog collar match with a stipulation that Cody needs because he needs to get his aggression out on Brody Lee and he wants to give himself the best opportunity to win the title. So now we come out of this, Cody's the champion again, and it's clear the change was only done so Cody could go off and film that game show and the title didn't get taken off television. That sucks. It also takes Brody Lee, who is starting to gain some momentum and extinguishes it again. The only difference really between Brody Lee and Luke Harper is that now he's the head of his stable as opposed to a member of his stable. This was just like his 2014 Intercontinental title reign in WWE. He beat Dolph Ziggler on a random Raw. If I remember, he beat him pretty bad and then lost the title right back to Dolph Ziggler in a stipulation match like 30 or 40 days later, just so Ziggler could lose it to someone else right after that. The action, like I said, in the match was good. It was brutal, which a dog collar match needs to be. Commentary really tried to sell it as memorable and historic, but it didn't come off that way at all to me. It actually came off forgettable, the exact opposite. There's no question it was an entertaining match, but like I said, some of the best moments happened during a commercial break. So for me, this thing was totally a mess. While I liked the moment afterward with Orange Cassidy coming out to challenge for the title, he literally just challenged for the title and lost to Brody Lee. So either he's going to take all of his momentum from beating Chris Jericho twice and waste it, losing to Cody Lee and Cody back-to-back, or AEW is doing a one-week title change to put it on Orange Cassidy. There is no winner in that scenario. The only way this makes sense, this booking, is if you have Orange Cassidy win the title. And even then, it doesn't make much sense to do it this quickly in this type of circumstance. In other words, this thing was an entire mess. The storytelling, the booking of the match, and the aftermath, just, it wasn't a 0.0. I wish I could give it that because there was good wrestling involved and and there were some good elements, but it was really close to a 0.0. Here, let's make a distinction. The storyline? 0.0. The wrestling, for the most part, thumbs up from the Silver King. It was entertaining, but man, this thing was a mess. Now, the show started the opposite of a mess with Brian Cage defending the FTW title against Will Hobbs. You guys know what this match was all about. (laughs) This was an absolute banger between two huge dudes, and it was a great start to the show. The crowd responded incredibly to it. A fantastic decision to open AEW Dynamite with Brian Cage and Will Hobbs. There was no chance that Cage, of course, was going to lose, but Hobbs got in a lot of offense before Cage hit the finisher. And then after that, you had Taz give Will Hobbs an ultimatum, basically saying, hey, come join us. You were really impressive in that match. So that's always a nice piece of storytelling. And they actually did that a little bit later with someone else we'll talk about actually very soon. Darby Allen came out, made the save. That made complete sense based on storyline. So clearly we're going to get a tag team match between these four, either on the anniversary show next week or two weeks down the line. They may have already announced it for the anniversary show. And I missed it. If that's the case, that's my fault. You had John Moxley and Lance Archer cut promos against each other ahead of their title match next week on the anniversary show. It was really good to see Archer and not Jake Roberts do all of the talking for a change. He sold his history with Moxley and his motivation for the match. Moxley's promo was even better. It was more like a vignette. 
He absolutely crushed it and got me legitimately excited for the match where before Wednesday night, I was pretty indifferent going into it, mostly because I have a feeling Moxley is going to win. And, you know, Lance Archer already had the TNT title match, lost that. And again, with Brody, similar to Brody Lee, they introduce these big guys and, and hype them up. And then they basically just mostly lose. At least Brody Lee did get a title reign, but we already discussed those circumstances there. There were a couple NJPW mentions, by the way, during the show, which had fans that I saw at least going crazy and beginning to speculate. Maybe there's something there in the future. I know Harold Meiji or Meiji or whatever his name is, uh, just resigned from his post. And I guess he was maybe a little bit of a roadblock between them working together. But AEW, this was more AEW knowing how to pull the strings of fans. They do it better than any other wrestling company. And in mentioning it in these promos and during the 30-year celebration of Jericho, that's mostly what I think they were doing more than anything else. We had a tag team title match, FTR defeating Hybrid 2. The Young Bucks took a veiled shot at WWE by watching the TV's backstage like 100, like, like at a 90 degree angle. It was really funny and hysterical. Good stuff there. I always talk again about if you're going to take the shots, have them be veiled and, and actually have them be funny rather than just kind of shitting on the competition. And this was an example of it actually being funny. So good stuff from them there. Uh, even with wins on AEW Dark, the idea that Hybrid 2 would get a title match is silly, especially when there's a title match set for next week. There was some good tag team wrestling in this one, but it went on far too long. Jack Evans completely missed a corkscrew. I'm not sure I've ever seen someone 100% miss a high-risk maneuver. I've seen them slip or hit their heads or catch someone with a foot, but I don't think I've ever seen someone 100% miss a move. And that's what happened here. It felt like FTR had to work way too hard to get the win. The stuff with best friends afterward was stupid and actually worse than stupid. It was unfunny. But the title match next week should be great. They are deserving of a number one contendership. And the idea of best friends versus FTR in a tag team match, that gets me excited. So, you know, mixed feelings here, but not a segment that was good. And probably something that should have been shorter and not in the first hour of the show. You had Kenny Omega backstage cutting a promo about this upcoming number one contendership tournament. This was really good stuff from Omega. The angle they're playing with Hangman Page and Omega kind of both saying they're over each other, but continuously still talking about each other. That's solid. And this tournament is really being built strong. I think they've announced six people so far. And among the three that they announced on Wednesday were Hangman Page and Wardlow, which are a couple great additions to the tournament. Uh, We saw Big Swole defeat Serena Deeb. Just like last week, the lone women's match on the show came 90 minutes in and included a very long commercial break. No one really seemed to care about it in the crowd. It was actually a decent match. Deeb is a good hand and she's a good signing because she's going to help get a lot of women over. But it's abundantly clear that they don't care about this division and it really is a travesty. And then the main event of the show, the theme of the entire show, 30 years of Chris Jericho. All the video messages were great throughout the show, especially the cameos from people like Hiroshi Tanahashi and Ultimo Dragon and Shaq. They did maybe go a little bit heavy on the rock stars, but to be fair, Chris Jericho is a musician. He does tour. He do, he is friends with a lot of these guys. And most of the rock stars that we saw were really big names, even though they were older. So that did add a nice celebrity element to the entire thing. It is a shame, though, to do 30 years of Chris Jericho, right? And not have WCW and WWE footage. Like, you're, you're 
you're really cutting into the honoring of this guy. And look, WWE never would have given it to AEW, of course, but they are the ones who decided to do a 30-year celebration of Chris Jericho. Again, just a minor thing, but you know, it, it, I did find it missing. If you're going to honor the guy to, to take out the vast majority of his career and not be able to feature that is obviously rough. The MJF promo, quick promo, thank you, or, or congratulations during it. That was the key storyline element, of course. And I liked that they kind of stuck it in the middle and they didn't use it as a throwaway because they paid it off later in the show. So then we get the main event of the show, Chris Jericho and Jake Hager defeating Chaos Project. When I say this, I do so with the understanding that the entire show was built around Chris Jericho. Regardless, there's no reason for this to have main evented over the TNT title match. Rumor has it they were trying to do Jericho against Lance Storm one-on-one, but Storm couldn't get there due to travel restrictions. That would have been better, of course. I know Jericho and Luther are extremely close friends, but this just was not a main event. That's basically my analysis of the match. Jericho hit Judas Effect on Luther and got the win. I'm glad that this was not the end of the show, though, because they did the celebration afterward. They had MJF come out with a gift for Jericho. So at least they maybe recognized that that match could not be the actual main event. So MJF comes out, he's his normal annoying self here, and it's great. I like the storyline that Jericho has so much patience for MJF being an ass because it basically reminds Jericho of his younger self. So MJF gifts him Clownico, a a clown completely dressed up, and a framed picture of himself. Jericho takes the picture, breaks it over the clown's head, and then hits the clown with a Judas effect that this dude, the clown, sold basically better than half or two-thirds of the AEW roster. And that's not me crapping on the AEW roster. That's me giving Clownico credit for selling that thing like death. Really good on him for doing that. MJF, of course, was not surprised that Jericho ruined the picture and hit the Judas effect on Clownico because he's a heel and he knew exactly what Chris Jericho was going to do and he knows how gift segments turn out. So that was a really cool heel-to-heel moment. It was almost like both of them showing respect to the other one for being asses. So that worked for me. But the best part of the entire segment, and now that I think about it, maybe the best part of the entire show, with the exception of Moxley's promo, because that was number one, was the ending. And this is not sarcastic. It was like Saturday Night Live with all the heels coming out to celebrate. And then you saw Chris Jericho's name take up every single spot on the credits. Even Pentagon came out and he was wearing a white mask with a big smile on it, which is not what Pentagon's masks usually look like. I laughed my ass off legitimately at the end of Dynamite. And as I said, when they did Wobbly Walrus and WWE during Firefly Funhouse, it is very rare that wrestling actually makes me laugh out loud. But that final segment was legitimately hysterical. So AEW ended on a really strong note. Just like I said, NXT ended on a really strong note. But both shows, while there were positives, both very uneven. If I had to grade them out of 10, just to give you like a a context example, I'd probably give NXT like a six and a half out of 10 and maybe give AEW like a five and a half out of 10. So not neither show bad. I've certainly seen worse from both brands, but at the same time, they did not really put on their strongest foot. They didn't put their strongest foot forward is the term that I'm trying to get out here. So some stuff to be left desired for next week. And we do have the one-year anniversary of Dynamite, which will be an absolutely loaded show that AEW has put together. So I have no doubt 
that next week's show is going to absolutely rule in terms of what NXT is going to do to combat that. I'm not really sure. This week, there was the vice presidential debate on at the same time as these shows. So from a ratings perspective, I do expect both of them to take a tick down somewhat. I don't know if one's going to get more affected than the other. But next week, really, in theory, should be a huge AEW victory over NXT. What we will see is whether they get a huge ratings win or just a moderate one like they get most, most weeks. And that is what we will follow as the world turns in AEW and NXT. Of course, next up in the world of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast and the world of WWE is the WWE draft that's going to take place Friday on SmackDown. It's going to begin there, finish up Monday night on Raw. If you have not already, be sure to go back in our archives and listen to our WWE mock draft special that we had on Tuesday. Also on that show, we talk about everything else that happened from the week in WWE, the fallout from Clash of Champions, Raw, SmackDown, everything kind of still rolling on a little bit as we await the draft and as we await what WWE is going to do for Hell in a Cell. Very interested to see how this draft looks, both in terms of which superstars go to what brand, but the format, the presentation, Fox seems to be doing a good job in selling it. They're doing a kickoff show. They're treating it as a season two premiere for SmackDown. So all of that's very positive, but ultimately it's on the creative to deliver. Will WWE deliver an interesting draft like they did a few years ago, back I think it was maybe in 2016, but were far less successful at last year, despite the format being a little bit better. Last year, you remember they had someone, Stephanie McMahon acting as a commissioner, but they didn't do entrance music. They didn't have people comment on their selections and the war rooms were really corny and ridiculous. So let's hope WWE has fixed some of those mistakes. And yes, I am excited to see what happens Friday on SmackDown, Monday on Raw, and our next show, Tuesday, the WWE episode will break all of it down. So if you're a first time listener, do not forget to hit that subscribe button. We're available wherever you listen to podcasts. And by the way, If you have Amazon devices or Google devices in your home, you can pull us up on those. We're also on Spotify. If you want to listen to Getting Over, basically anywhere that you are, as long as you have some type of device, you are able to listen to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And for episode announcements, for wrestling commentary all week long, and just to help support us, please do not forget to follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thank you all for listening. A good show today. Happy to break down NXT and AEW for you. Only one more person left to say something before the Silver King says goodbye. Thank you all for listening. I will see you on Tuesday. Bye for now.